0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and I want to organize a plan for you so that you can become the kind of leader you want to be in the nonprofit sector. Thanks for listening. If you're a first-timer and you want to get into nonprofit leadership, or maybe you want to be more effective in your current leadership role, you're in the right place Hope you'll enjoy these weekly conversations with nonprofit experts, who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would do me a favor, especially if you like this episode, share it with one other person, so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. If you look at your device right now, top right corner, there's probably a circle with three dots in it. Click on it; it'll give you plenty of options for sharing. In this episode, I had a fantastic conversation with Stephanie Miner who is all about finding resources to help nonprofit leaders. Stephanie leads an organization called NPO Centric. And while based in Palm Desert, California, their resources are available for nonprofit leaders everywhere. Now, Stephanie and I talk about the key challenges that are facing nonprofit leaders just like you. But more importantly, we talk about some of the resources she and her team have developed to help you address them. And we talk about all your favorites, folks fundraising, board development, strategic planning, and Stephanie's unique experience in developing powerful cases for support. You won't want to miss that because every one of you as a nonprofit leader are certainly an ambassador for fundraising for your organization. Literally lots of resources to check out in the show notes for this episode. It is number 126. Just go to the podcast or the news page at com, and you'll find out all about the resources Stephanie and I discuss, as well as more information on the great work she's doing at NPO Centric. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. We're on all of the primary social media platforms. and Make sure you're on our email list. Go to the bottom of the homepage, click on free resources, and you won't miss a thing, including great episodes like this one. Also at the bottom of the homepage, check in with us, see if we can schedule a call. If you'd like to learn more about how we might help your nonprofit organization, or perhaps how you and I can discuss your next step on the nonprofit leadership path. We have coaching, training, and a unique mastermind program that might be of interest. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Stephanie Miner. Stephanie, thank you for joining me on the path.
1: Thank you so much for having me here.
0: I'm excited about this conversation. You are a perfect person to talk about resources for nonprofit leaders. You're in the midst of some wonderful talent through your organization, NPO Centric, and you've seen and heard the challenges they're facing and their desire to get better. And of course, that's exactly what this podcast is about. In fact, Stephanie, let me start with that because I think you did a recent survey, literally, To identify some of the top challenges that nonprofit leaders are facing. Maybe tell us about that survey and what you found out.
1: Sure thing. So we joined a Facebook group that has thousands and thousands of nonprofit professionals, especially leaders. And we posted a question asking them, what is the most urgent or important matter what is your biggest problem? And I thought that the answer was definitely going to have to do with money, fundraising, grant writing, or board issues, because we see that so often. But believe it or not, the top concern was about self care for wow. nonprofit leaders. But here's the thing that I found very, very interesting. Based on what I saw, I created something called Lead Magnets, which is a resource that I can give to people for free when they come to our website. And since everybody was so concerned about self-care, we made this really great packet for nonprofit leaders all about self-care because it's not just bubble baths. It's way more <laughs> than that. <laughs> right, um, right. And so we, we made it very, you know, it was beautiful and had different options for them. And then we made one about board issues and we made one about fundraising. And. Surprisingly, the self-care one got downloaded least of all, but I think that it goes to show something that we all already know as nonprofit leaders. We never take time to take care of ourselves. We're so busy caring for others. So it was very interesting the way that played out.
0: That is fascinating. And so they were quick to identify self-care as a need, but when it came time for resources you provided, they still go back to fundraising and board development. Absolutely. I hope that there is a lesson that our listeners will consider. No matter how much good fundraising and board development you do, if you don't take care of yourself, ultimately, your nonprofit is going to fail. And I'm sure you agree with me on that wholeheartedly.
1: I do. Um, I do, especially given what's been going on the last 18 months. You know, we've got to take care of ourselves. So many people are relying on us. If we don't take care of ourselves, exactly what you just said, we're not going to be there to help them.
0: Yep. So. good advice stephanie that's why you're here and i'm delighted for this conversation for those listeners not familiar with npo centric let's start with that what is npo centric and how does it help nonprofit leaders
1: so npo centric is a program of a funder called the regional access project foundation we're located in palm desert california and as a foundation, we know it's very, very important to make sure that nonprofit leaders have the resources that they need to be successful. So, this program is one that's membership based, and we help to build strong and resilient nonprofit organizations by providing them with really powerful tools and training uh, so that we can increase their sustainability. Uh, we teach things that will help in ways that will allow nonprofits to focus on their mission and not just survival, because so many of us are just focusing on survival. So we are here to help provide tools, trainings, anything that is needed to help a nonprofit go and grow and become sustainable.
0: Yeah, love it, Stephanie. I've been to your website. I'm going to encourage our listeners to do exactly that. And of course, it'll be in the show notes because you do indeed identify key issues facing nonprofit leaders and you give them something to, to help them do it better. And yes. I'm, I'm uh, grateful for that. And I know the sector appreciates it. But before we get into some of the resources and the challenges that nonprofit leaders are facing, why did you get into this kind of work? What brought you to the field of nonprofit leadership?
1: Well, my mother has been in the nonprofit sector for over 30 years, and she has had a fantastic career. She's always been very satisfied with her work. She made a decent living. And when I would come visit her at the time I was living in Florida, she was in California. When I'd come visit her, I'd always spend time helping her with her work, volunteering, and so I loved it, but it wasn't something that I saw myself doing at that time. I owned my own marketing and social media company, and I was working a lot with doctors and psychologists because it's very hard to post on social media in that field because you have to be careful. You know, there's HIPAA and you just can't give a lot of advice. Right. And my mother's nonprofit actually lost their head of development the person who was running their website. So she asked me to help. The CEO asked me to help <laughs> my mom's recommendation. Yeah, hard so to turn that doing, down, right? <laughs> yes, I was doing um, their social media and website from Florida. They were in California. And then long story short, I just got more and more involved. And they ended up meeting a director of development. I was making a big change in my own life. It was just like the universe lined everything up for me. And I got a wonderful job opportunity. And now I'm here in California. It's been fantastic.
0: Well, love that. Love how you brought skills from your previous professional experiences into the nonprofit field. And of course, we'll talk about that because you've continued to translate your expertise on the social media and marketing side and the work you do now. And that is something nonprofit leaders can benefit from. I guess it also is a reminder we should always listen to our mom too, right, Stephanie? When mom mom makes a suggestion.
1: She's gonna love to hear you say that.
0: (laughs) As will my mom. Of course, my mom's gonna suggest maybe I'm not following all her suggestions. So uh, I guess you're gonna encourage her even more. But delighted you joined the field and you now continue to bring great energy and enthusiasm and resources to our colleagues in nonprofit leadership. You know, one of the things I noticed in particular about NPO Centric and the work you do is the ability to help nonprofit leaders with capacity building. So let's talk about that first. You know, we hear that term a lot, but when you think about capacity building and that need, what do you mean by it? And, and then we'll get into maybe ways you help leaders uh, address it.
1: So what I think of when I hear that buzzword of capacity building is any activity that helps to strengthen the performance of a nonprofit organization is capacity building. So things where you're learning how to build social media, trainings where you're learning how to work with your board, coaching sessions, even peer exchanges can be capacity building. Working with consultants and, you know, being part of convenings is all part of building a nonprofit's capacity so they are sustainable. To me, capacity building equals sustainability, and that's what nonprofits need the most.
0: Yeah, well put. And you know, something I've noticed too is that organizations, of course, that are doing good work, uh, they want to scale, they want to increase the individuals they're serving. And often that you know, what used to work for a more smaller size or smaller population doesn't work when you scale. So The capacity building you offer obviously allows them to grow, which I would think as a fundraiser, you know well too. Fundraisers like to see and invest in growth and expansion, uh, particularly when you're addressing needs. So what are some of the the tools maybe, Stephanie, that you offer uh, in the different areas you found that nonprofit leaders need help building capacity?
1: So there are tons of issues with the boards of directors. There are, I'm just going to use real talk here. Everybody has a crazy person on their board or somebody who oversteps their boundaries or somebody who causes problems or who's not respecting the CEO or... I mean, it could just be anything, and so how do you deal with that? Because when that happens, that is what will stop a nonprofit in their tracks. I mean, you're just stuck there because the leadership and the people who oversee the nonprofit are not functioning well together. So we talk about that using real talk. We don't we don't beat around the bush. We we get to the bottom of it. We hook our members up with consultants, we have trainings for the board, we have ebooks, we have video series, anything that we can we can give them to get past that issue. Um, and I know at the end of the podcast, you're going to ask me about a book about, you know, my favorite book, and I'm oh, going right. to definitely share a resource <laughs> that any nonprofit can use. I'm sorry if I gave away that secret.
0: Uh, hey, I don't uh, mind a little <laughs> teaser. A little teaser is okay, early input. <laughs> okay. But it is would you say that's the number one issue? I know you said the survey while well, self-help or self-care was number one, but do you think in terms of resource you provide, it's board related stuff that often comes to the forefront?
1: I think that it's board related and fundraising and communications. Okay. And so nonprofits, I mean, we need money. we can't we can't do anything without without money. And that could be grant writing, fundraising, and just communicating in general. And what I see is a lot of nonprofits, doing good work, but that's what they talk about. They don't figure out how to meet their donors and supporters really where they are and figure out how to bring them in in a way that's deeper just than supporting their good work. Like how do we figure out what makes someone tick that will make them want to engage with us, that will make them want to give us money. And it can be different for every person. And that's where communicating and taking the time to sit down with donors and, and having them in different sections in your database is so important. But the problem is is there's not enough hours in the day. So we help with providing systems and processes that will help with fundraising, Uh, We give a lot of things that are partially written for you, for appeals, for email communications. Uh, We have templates for how to do a welcome series for for somebody uh, who first gets on your email list and how to keep them warm. Um, You know, just things like that, that are time-saving resources. Those Those are the things that we give out the most. Those are the things that we see people struggling with the most.
0: Yeah, I love that. And you answered my question as to what are the most popular resources. And it sounds like the tools you provide uh, help me get out of the office and get in front of the donor instead of back stuck creating some of that content because you literally are providing templates. Is that right, Stephanie? So that I can move uh, literally in a more external fashion.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, We have resources, even like job descriptions, general job descriptions. I mean, how many times have nonprofit leaders had to sit down and write a job description? And so we have 90% of it done for you. And then you just kind of fill it in with with your information. Um, I mean, just everything like that. We have a volunteer uh, volunteer applications, volunteer handbooks, all of those kind of things that your nonprofit needs. We make it very easy for them to go and change the logo and just put in the information that is related particularly to their nonprofit. We're really proud of, of our resources. We've got some really, really valuable resources.
0: Clearly you do. And I is there kind of an ideal target nonprofit leader for NPO-centric, Stephanie? In other words, do you deal with a lot of startup nonprofits or relatively young nonprofits? Or I'm sure you're working, I guess, in all shapes and sizes in terms of organizations, but what would you describe as the kind of typical uh, member of (laughs) NPO-centric?
1: You're right that we do work with um, all different sizes of organizations. However, I would say that those that are the most engaged are actually small and medium nonprofits. That being said, what happens with bigger nonprofits is they hire new people. So let's say that you know somebody has been around for 30 years. Well, the director of development is new or their assistant is new, and they may even be new to the sector. And so they've got to start from scratch, and we just help with, with those times saving materials, even for the the bigger organizations. But I would say, uh, largely, it is small and medium nonprofits,
0: makes perfect sense. And are you seeing evidence of what I hear from a lot of our colleagues in the nonprofit sector, the turnover issues. So I wonder, does that exacerbate the need for your resources when organizations are just constantly having turnover? Or, or do you think that's slowing down a bit? How would you describe the state of kind of turnover?
1: I think that it depends. Um, I have seen a lot of turnover. It's a problem in in the nonprofit sector. It just is. But I think it's a problem everywhere right now because of COVID. But uh, that being said, when you know that you're going to have turnover, why reinvent the wheel over and over and over again? And that's what I see happening because someone who's in leadership is like, okay. I just hired this new development director and they're going to be here. So, and they're there for six months and then they leave. And instead of having that person create processes and systems and document them and or create like a policies and procedures manual, they don't do that. So they're reinventing the wheel, reinventing the wheel, reinventing the wheel over and over again, because they don't take the the time and it's so hard to do it, to just sit down and get everything in order and set it up right from the, from the start. And so,
0: exactly.
1: I mean, it just happens. Days go by so fast. I feel like even some days when I used to work at Martha's Village and Kitchen the first eight hours of the day, I was there working and helping everybody. And then at night, I would actually do my own real job. <laughs> you know, So I get it. But um, if you can just take the time to put those systems and processes in place, your life will change. The, li- the, the direction of your team will change. Everything will change. It will just be much smoother. And that is what we offer. We help you do it. We have templates and time-saving resources, checklists, all of those good things and we add new content every single week so there's always something that we can do to help and we love to help we love
0: it uh, it's it's evident and i know a lot of listeners are nodding right now that your, your analogy or your story there of, of you spend all day busy, but you don't actually get the work done that you needed to get done because you're putting out fires and doing all the little things sometimes you get pulled into. And that's that's so well put. If you could once and for all create the systems and processes that you know eliminate even when turnover occurs – uh, mm-hmm. You're going to be so much more focused on your mission. And, well, Stephanie, let me ask you where do you get all these resources? How do you curate the wonderful resources that you bring into the NPO centric community?
1: So, there are a few ways. Um, some of them are based on my experience and things that I know about and have sure, been through. Sure. And then, obviously, we are a funder. And so, uh, I have access to a lot of other funders. I interview them and find out, wh- you know, what is moving you to give funding to nonprofits? And then I go and share that with the nonprofits. I also hire professional consultants to teach workshops and write ebooks and do a video series back to the self-care, even though I was let down by the number of people who uh, downloaded the free resources inside of our membership. I hired somebody who's a life coach who specializes in self-care and told her the problem, told her the story I. Told you earlier, and she said, you know, people get overwhelmed when they when they think of self care. Let me do some two minute videos, things they could do immediately that will calm them down, or or will give them a different way of thinking, you know. And so I, I went and found somebody who was an expert in that. It was what we needed, and so I just found the person, and she created the videos, and they're in our portal. We have some. Uh, we have a free membership as well, so we have some of her videos in there. We just want to help people, and so we we listen to the problems, and then I go find somebody who can help solve them.
0: It's fantastic. Well, as evidenced by your very first story in our episode together, the the fact that you're utilizing surveys, you're listening to your members, and you're finding resources to address the things they need. And that certainly is a wonderfully responsive attitude. Uh, Let me ask you about one more capacity building, I suppose, topic, but strategic planning. How would you uh, assess, Stephanie, the state of the organizations and their leaders that you work with? What kind of planning are they doing? Are they doing enough? Or is it an area where you find that you are, in fact, having to provide some support?
1: We are definitely having to provide support. I can tell everybody who is listening, do strategic planning. I know it's a pain to set it all up and to herd the the cats and and get everybody in the same room at the same time, but you must do it. More and more funders are requiring it. you you won't get grants if you don't have it. And quite frankly, it's just better for your organization. It's another time, just another touch point with your board where you can make sure that you are all on the same page and that you are all are marching in the same direction. And if you're not, you discuss it and then figure out how to make it so everybody's marching in the same direction. It doesn't have to be a ton of time, but you do need to do it as often as you can. It's It's just so, so important.
0: Yeah, good encouragement there. And you're right. I think a lot of times, and I've certainly seen it in many boardrooms, there's a rolling of the eyes sometimes that, you know, we're going to take on this very arduous planning process, but it doesn't have to be that arduous. And I'm sure you're encouraging folks just, you know, come up with something that helps you articulate your vision and the mission you're trying to accomplish now. As a funder, Stephanie, what are some of the things you're looking for? You have a funder eye as well, and you of course talk to a lot of funders what are they seeing with the best nonprofit organization in other words who are they funding you know what are the characteristics of those kinds of organizations would you say or are there some things that maybe stand out
1: well for sure nonprofit leaders have got to start collaborating with other nonprofits funders love it if you can find a way to work together you will get funding i mean i can't guarantee that personally but you will <laughs>
0: Right, right. <laughs> we it's,
1: see that time and time again, because it shows them that you are not just out there doing the work, which is so important, but that you're cognizant that sometimes uh, efforts are being duplicated. And so you can go to somebody else who's in the similar you know, field that you're in and make it even better. And funders love that. Funders also love when you show them that they are not going to have to fund you forever, that you have a plan, and that you're bringing in other sources of funding to support your programs. They love that. Um, they'll they'll fund you for multiple years if you can show them that okay the first year I need you to fund 80 percent the next year I, I'm getting funding from this other person or I'm having a capital campaign so I only need 50 percent and then the third year I'm down to 20 percent and then I'll fund the program myself and I'll come back to you next year with a brand new program and I want you know it'll be repeat and you can get funders to support you for years because you're you're finding other ways to support the program. They absolutely love that. And very few nonprofits do that, or at least show that, and they absolutely should.
0: It's a great illustration, Stephanie, you're right. Because I think ultimately, while they want to help, they don't want you dependent on them, do they? Absolutely. And if we don't demonstrate a, a funding model that allows them to operate independently and not dependent on any individual funding source, that's such a good point. And one that I think as organizations develop their budgeting models, they need to think about that but sadly i've seen organizations that just simply continue to push that envelope relying on a you know narrow group of funders and then if one of those funders goes away things are in trouble in a hurry
1: and and funders do go, they do go away foundations close uh, you know families change direction yep. so many so many times they go away funding runs out so you need to make sure that you are doing the best that you can to find multiple sources to support your nonprofit.
0: Well, let me go back to your good point about you know funders looking and admiring collaboration. What does that look like? I mean, it, I suppose one end of the spectrum would be I could literally look at to merge with another nonprofit in my community doing a similar service. Or are there other ways, Stephanie, you have seen nonprofits illustrate or demonstrate that collaborative spirit that funders like?
1: Yes. So I'll give you an example in the homeless services industry, because that's where I came from last. So let's say that there's a program like Martha's Village and Kitchen who does wraparound services. They're feeding the community. They have a child care center. They have a medical center. And down the street, there's another uh, homeless service provider that does some of those same things, but they have employment. They specialize in employment. So, Together, you can get all of those clients and Martha's Village and Kitchen can take care of the children of the homeless people who are getting employment services. And then the people that live at Martha's Village and uh, Kitchen can also go over to that and get employment services. So the programs are still being offered, but instead of operating in a silo, the nonprofit leaders are actively getting together and asking, how can we support our clients? How can we make the community better? So it's not even, it's not even necessarily being absorbed by another nonprofit. Although I have seen that a lot with yeah, COVID and, and right, I, right. I, I congratulate the nonprofits who don't just shut down, who, who pick up the phone and call someone and say like, Hey, we're both struggling. Let's get together and be stronger. That is fantastic. And, and funders love that. And quite frankly, the community loves that, but you can just figure out where the gaps are and then partner with somebody to fill those gaps and then write a grant together to a funder. And just yeah. illustrate what you're doing.
0: It's beautiful. And your term, because the wraparound services is right on target. And it demonstrates to the funder that we are uh, identifying the the root causes, the issues that allow the people we serve to be self-sustaining, right? And that's, again, yes. why all of us, particularly in the human services nonprofits, are, are here in the first place. You know, Absolutely stephanie you referenced several times your experience at martha's village and kitchen let's talk about that because that is a wonderful story i think on your you know professional story uh, talk about what what was that like when you arrived and how did you have such success as a fundraiser when you were there
1: so, Martha's Village and Kitchen ha- is a nonprofit organization that has been around for over 30 years. It's wonderful. They do wonderful work. I mean, they're just amazing. But when I got there, they were in a time of change and there was a lot of struggle. Um, and we just had to figure out how we were going to keep those doors open. Wow. And so, we just put our heads down and did the work. I mean, it was a lot of long hours. It was a lot of looking at what we were doing and actually discussing why it wasn't working, why they were in the position that they were in. And then, working with our board members to show them that sometimes new ways would make things better. And luckily we had a fantastic board. They were even a little bit older because I live in, in the desert, you know, of California where it's like a retirement community, right, but they right. were very opening to uh, open to new marketing ideas and they just trusted, they trusted me, they trusted the CEO. And we just put our, I, I've never worked that hard in my life. And so we got, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it was all for the good. And then we got to the point where, We had done a lot of great work. We had turned things around and it was time to launch a capital campaign. And so we needed to pay off our building. And so uh, that was a very interesting journey because half of the board didn't wanna do it. The other half did wanna do it. And so it was up to me to figure out how to get them to understand that we absolutely needed to do it. Uh, And then just going through the whole process of the capital campaign, that is something quite amazing. (laughs)
0: Well, but kudos. we did it. Yes.
1: And we had we raised almost $5 million in eight months. So it was amazing. The hard work paid off. We we made more than our goal. We finished ahead of schedule. And basically it was just putting our head down, doing the work, making sure that our board was walking in the same direction that we were walking in, getting them excited to help move the process along and we also did something really cool that i want to share with nonprofit leaders that i honestly think every single one of you all should do we did something called a listening tour and what we did was we contact there's nine cities here in the coachella valley we contacted the mayor and council members and we went to their office with some materials and we said we are here to listen to you and And you tell us what you want from us. What do you see that we are not doing? What do you see that we do well? What do you want more of? And we listened to them. It was nice. just, a, just a chance for them to talk to us. We weren't asking them for anything. Right. And it was amazing how many wonderful relationships grew out of that listening tour uh, because they felt heard and we listened and then we took what they said and did it. And because of that and because of just the, the goodwill and everybody just being on board, we were able to Surpass our goal and and make that capital campaign a very big success.
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic story on so many levels. Uh, The listening tour is a a piece of advice I would uh, reinforce. That's such a good idea, and then I'm sure it sharpened your case for support when you did go to funders, right? That you could say we have listened to our community, and this is responsive to those needs. I'm curious, Stephanie, for those board members that you had to to push a little bit harder. I'm guessing there was some variation of, Stephanie, you know, this is the way we've always done it. Why are you trying to push us into campaign mode? How did you help change their mind? What What was the, the method or how did you illustrate this new possibility to get them to get on board with the campaign?
1: Well, for me, I always approach things where if I'm not excited about it, I can't get them to be excited about it. So right. even so sometimes I was frustrated. <laughs> I just had to bite the bullet and say, "Look, this is the fastest way we're going to get from from, you know, A to B. I promise you I will do the heavy lifting here. I, you know, have come up with different ways that that you can be involved in the way that you want to be." And for many of those board members, part of them were afraid. They didn't want to ask people for money. Yeah. And so I met them where they were. And those board members, I didn't ask them to ask people for money. I asked them maybe to give us a name, or maybe to, if you didn't want to give us any names, maybe you, uh, you know, had a small party with just your friends that we could present at. I just met them where they were, nice. Listen to them as well, and then let them help in the way that they were more comfortable helping. And that is another piece of advice that I think nonprofit leaders should do every every day because it's frustrating with your board members. It's every, no one is the same. We're a bunch of adults living different lives. And if you can find out what moves your board members, and then again, meet them where they are, you will have such success and you will have just a very nice feeling and everybody will be much more happy.
0: Yeah. Could not agree more. Great advice, Stephanie, in terms of one size does not fit all. And I've seen that frankly fail where The staff or the nonprofit leader, in essence, asks every board member to do the same thing. Hey, can all of you call on 10 of your friends? And some are going to be more comfortable than others. And it sounds like you adapted uh, to each of their gifts right, and each of their skills, and you put it to work in a wonderful fashion. Um, it's no doubt, sorry, did you want to add more to that stuff? I just said, thank you for that. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you deserve it. It's a wonderful story. And it's, there's no doubt why you are an effective fundraiser and a coach of fundraisers. So it's also not surprising that when uh, you were in a competition that evaluated pitches, which in essence is what you did for a $5 million campaign, right? Um, You won $20,000. Talk about that. What was this pitch competition about and what are the keys to making an effective pitch?
1: So here in the desert, we have something called the Desert Fast Pitch and it is actually put on by Regional Access Project Foundation, the place where I work now. And and this story is gonna lead to how I got this job here now. Um, they once a year, it's, it's, it's a shark tank style event. You get up on the stage, you have three minutes to make a pitch. And then it's in in front of a live audience of about 300 people. And there's nine judges and I won first place. No one was more surprised than I was. It was very, it was very (laughs) fun. It was very nerve wracking. We had some courses leading up to it to help us learn how to do a pitch. But the bottom line is when you are making a pitch to anybody, whether it's on an elevator whether it's at a cocktail party whether it's on a stage with 300 people staring at you the main thing you need to do is start off strong and stay strong and get the people to understand how they can support you you have to make it about yes the work you're doing but about them people will buy into it if you can figure out how to make it about them. And so I had to figure out how am I going to make this pitch is relatable to 300 different people. So I talked about kids and I talked about, you know, them sleeping in the car. I just told a very compelling story just right out of the gate um, and just appealed to the audience and, and stayed excited and passionate and I won, it was actually $22,000 that oh. I won from the Martha's Village Pitching.
0: <laughs> don't, don't mean to shortchange your, your prize money there, Stephanie. Yes, That's yes. awesome. In fact, <laughs> uh, I've got a friend here in the Charlotte area, uh, Kristen Beck, Social Venture Partners does something called C20, which I think is a similar pitch competition. But mm-hmm. I love your point there of it's not just about me and my organization, which I do think sometimes nonprofit leaders, we entangle ourselves in the details of our programs. And I I take it your key advice is, no, we've got to translate what we do into the individual audience members. Is that kind of a fundamental takeaway for you?
1: Yes. Yes, you absolutely you have to do that. I cannot tell you the number of times where someone will come into our building and say, "Hey, I want to start a nonprofit." And I'll say, "Tell me about it." And they will spend 15 minutes talking about themselves and how why they came up with this idea and what it means to them and, you know, that whole journey. And yes, you yes. want to know that, but I only want to know that for 3 minutes. And the rest of the time, I want you to tell me how it's going to impact the community. How I, you know, from what you know about me, can support you? How can I buy into what you're doing? And so many people just get so excited about their mission and and what's happening that they don't include that piece. And then you lose people. You've got to make it about them. You absolutely have to. It works almost every time, I promise you, so. Definitely, it's it's a it's a skill. It's a developed skill. You have to stop yourself and and really practice and and do it when you write and do it when you speak. But when you master that, it's amazing what can happen.
0: Well, and great advice. And I guess that's the real uh, the beauty of the contest. In a sense, the three minute time frame forces you to be more succinct and I guess more clear in the case yes. you're making, right? Because you can't ramble for twenty minutes no. and tell your whole story.
1: Not only that, you have no support. It's you in a microphone, no brochures, <laughs> no PowerPoints. It's just you in a spotlight talking. And so you have to figure out how you can be compelling to everybody in that room. Mm-hmm. And then after that competition, because I mentioned that I was it was going to lead to how I got this job here, I just was so fascinated and amazed with the program that put it on at the time. It was called Center for Nonprofit Advancement. We just recently turned changed our name to npo centric which okay. stands for non-profit organization centric uh because we wanted to trademark our brand and so i just was fascinated and thought wow this could be such an amazing program not that it wasn't good but i just had 27 ideas of how how i thought it could be better and expand right. nationally and and that it was so needed and that they should have a digital portal and i i actually told my mother listen if the director of that uh department ever retires, I'm going to apply for that job. And she was like, okay, I, you know, she didn't think anything of it. And then six months later, he retired. Be,
0: be careful <laughs> so, what you wish for, Stephanie. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: <laughs> the universe or God or whatever set that up and I got the job and it's been just such a wonderful adventure because I get to help so many nonprofits, not I loved working for Martha's and I loved working for and helping other nonprofits, but to be able to touch hundreds and even thousands, our membership right now has over 1200 people in it. That's wow. you know over a thousand people we're helping make the world a better place. So it's very, very exciting.
0: Well, it's no doubt that you are uh, in bringing enthusiasm that nonprofit leaders need and uh, no surprise that you're particularly effective in helping them make a pitch which in essence is, you know, a case for support that every nonprofit leader has to articulate, you know, your expertise coming from social media and marketing, the integrated marketing work that you did prior to getting into nonprofit work. I mean, is that an area you see a lot of nonprofit leaders struggling? Uh, In other words, I'm imagining many of them have a passion for the program, but perhaps not the experience or expertise in, marketing and social media and that kind of thing. So talk about that space and what you've done to try to help leaders and and deal with it.
1: Sure. You know, social media can be scary. But the one thing I say to nonprofit leaders and just want to remind you all of is that nonprofits are a business period so we have to do the same things that for-profits are doing and that includes social media that includes making videos that includes all of those scary things (laughs) so we have to figure out a way to make it happen so i would say to pick one or two channels and i highly recommend facebook even with all of its crazy problems it is a place where donors live where supporters live that age bracket has money and time to support your organization so start there and just be consistent it doesn't matter. Just post one thing a day. It could be something as as simple as happy Monday, you know, and then on Friday, have a great weekend. What are you doing? We here at whatever your name of nonprofit is, is are having a birthday party for the kids who, you know, are have cancer or something like that. And then right. over time, you just add to it. You you do throwback Thursdays, you throw do pictures behind the scenes, simple things. It doesn't have to be complicated, but it just needs to be consistent. And if you are struggling with social media, because first of all, if you're a one or two man show, who has time for that, but you really need to do it. And, and I would double down and say that Facebook is actually like the yellow pages used to be. If you were not in the yellow pages back in the day, you were not a real business. You did not exist. And it's almost the same way, in my opinion, for Facebook, you've got to have a, a, business page and you've got to have a presence on there. And worst case scenario, go to your local community college, go to a college, find a student, a volunteer, they're out there, they need the volunteer hours and say, I need you to help me post on social media. I mean, it's the best, it helps them, it helps you, and they can teach you along the way. And then also membership organizations like ours will teach you along the way. There's there's a lot of resources that, that can help with that. There's a lot of free resources. And I would highly recommend something called Canva, that's C-A-N-V-A dot com, Canva dot com. Right. It is a graphic design uh, resource and I mean the templates are beautiful. You just change your the colors and put in your logo and you know you have to you have to zhuz them up a little bit, but it's it's easy. And it's free for nonprofits. It's a one page application and you get it free for the, forever. So I highly recommend uh, people going to Canva.com and getting getting that tool and resource.
0: Great advice, Stephanie, once again. And you're right. You, you anticipated my question of if I'm drowning as a nonprofit leader, number one, I don't have to engage in every social media channel. Cause I do hear that sometimes. And I just, I'm sure you do the, what about Instagram? What about TikTok? What about LinkedIn? What about everything at once? Right. And you're suggesting pick one Facebook in particular, do it well. Mm-hmm. And there are resources out there, right? If, if I'm just That's simply right. not skilled or have the time, um, find somebody. There are volunteers and resources out there, and that'll help you do it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'll be amazed what teenagers and young adults can <laughs> can create. They're amazing. <laughs> they, they grew up with this. It's a second nature to them, and, and it's a great way for them to get volunteer hours. So tap into that. Just tap into it and, and you know, have them help you. And the cool thing about starting off with Facebook is that it's integrated. Uh, Facebook owns Instagram. So when you're ready, you can easily start to post over there. Not and then yeah. you know, there are ways that you could go from post from Facebook and get it to post on other social media platforms. But don't get overwhelmed. Don't start there. Start with one, be consistent, and then go from there.
0: Similar advice, Stephanie, on the website front? I'm guessing, as you said, the yellow pages perhaps is Facebook, but also you've got to be effective, I assume, in your web presence. what what? How would you describe the state of nonprofit websites or the issues you see and how you help nonprofit leaders that way?
1: So I would say that a lot of nonprofit websites might be a little bit dated or many nonprofits don't have websites at all. And I am here to tell you that a website is an absolute must. You must have it. And you've got to make sure that it is very, very easy for a people to figure out what you do and b for people to donate that donation page has to be simple, easy, and if you don't know how to set up a website, there's another um, tool that you can go to. It's called Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. And you can hire somebody to create a quick website for you. Indeed. Um, definitely do that. It's worth it. You, you just say, hey, I need three pages. I need an about page. I need a home page, And I need a donation page. Give them your colors, give them your logo, find some examples of web pages that you love and send those links and have them build the website for you. Um, and then I would go further and say through your website and even through social media, but mostly through your website, you have got to start to build an email list because even though social media is important, you don't own social media. Right now, this morning, I went to log on Facebook. It's down. Facebook and Instagram are down. I heard that. Yeah. So what what do I do? I can't can't communicate with anybody, but yes, I can, because I have my own email list. Nobody can take that away from you. And um, you can really build relationships through building an email list. That's one of the most important things that you can do.
0: Great advice a gold mine literally stephanie throughout this conversation very grateful uh and of course i know it's going to encourage our listeners to look up npo centric and learn more by the way what is the eligibility for membership for npo centric i know you're on the west coast but can can someone join from wherever they are
1: Absolutely. When we did our rebranding, we went national. We have an amazing digital portal. It's only $27 a month. And if you pay for the whole year up front, you get a 10% discount. Um, but anybody can join. And every week we add new content. We have a private Facebook group where we're helping each other. I do Facebook lives in there. We have other consultants come in there. It's amazing to see our community jump in and help each other inside of that private Facebook group. We also sell digital courses here, and um, I put some of them for free inside of our digital membership just because I think it's the right thing to do. And so it's just a very valuable resource. We make it so easy to join. There's no commitments. If you join for one month and you decide, I don't like this, you can cancel, no problem. I just want to help people and give them resources that I wish that I would have had when I first started down this path. And uh, so we just make it as easy as possible.
0: That's wonderful. And indeed, we will lift it up in the show notes and encourage, as you and I have done throughout this conversation, it seems to me that's our theme song, right, Stephanie, there are resources out there, we want to help nonprofit leaders, and you have such a great platform to do that. You know, I, I guess it leads to one of my final questions of all the great advice you've offered. You know, if someone comes up to you and says they're thinking about getting into nonprofit leadership or advancing in the sector, what advice you offer? You know, they may not have their mother like you and I do <laughs> encouraging us, <laughs> but is there any final advice you would offer someone considering nonprofit leadership?
1: Yes, I would encourage them to get into the nonprofit sector. It's so rewarding. But I would also say, make sure that you are taking care of yourself yourself from the start, and I would say make sure that you develop systems and processes from the start. And then lastly, I would say stay current, read everything that you can read. There's great blogs out there online. Um, But at the same time, be sure that you rely on proven methods. Some things about nonprofit work don't change. Some things about fundraising, for example, don't change. You need to understand the person. You need to thank them. You need to make them know that they're valuable. That doesn't change. What changes is maybe some of the ways that we reach them. So focus on what's current, but rely on proven methods. Take care of yourself and put systems and processes in place, and you will be good to go in the nonprofit sector.
0: Stephanie, I can see why you won a pitch contest. You are very (laughs) effective in organizing your thoughts and presenting them in a meaningful way. In fact, I came away with the three S's, you know, and I'm glad you circle back to self-care, unless you and I both uh, could not agree more on the need for our friends listening to start with that. And of course, developing the systems you said throughout our conversation. And, And I love that you encourage study. You know, there's lots of good content make the time to learn. And you have, in fact, encouraged that. Speaking of study, as you know, I ask every guest to offer a book that's been meaningful to them or that you might recommend, Stephanie, to someone looking for good resources. You got a book for me?
1: I do. It is The Little Book of Boards by Eric Hanberg. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Sure. It is a board member's handbook. So really, it's for your board members. I recommend buying a few of them and letting them read them when they first join the board. Of course, there's lots of other steps you should take, like making sure that they know what they're supposed to be doing, that they have a notebook with with all of the documents that they need. Um, But this will start them off on the right foot. I would also give them to board members that have been in your organization for a long time because it will remind them of what their role is supposed to be. And then it's very good for leaders because it also reminds them what their role is supposed to be. And it will help them keep the lines drawn so nobody is crossing over and bothering each other where they're not supposed yes, to yes yes So it's a that book is gold gold really happy is. to
0: lift it up in fact yeah that will be featured on your episode article and promotional material so thank you for lifting up the little book of boards and i couldn't agree with you more every organization can work on their board development and that's a good one to consider uh Stephanie, you've given us wonderful resources throughout this conversation. Obviously, we all need to go to NPO Centric and its website. Or is there anywhere else we can learn more about you and the great work you're doing there?
1: Um, I would just go to npocentric.org. That has all of the information that you need. We also have a free Facebook group. Um, It's NPO Centric. Just search that and you can join. And there's a lot of great information we share I mean, things about fundraising, everything that we talked about today and and even more. Sometimes we even give away free Canva templates for nonprofits in that free group. So if it's Mother's Day or something like that, we'll give you the template. You can just take it and put your logo on it and post it. We just give away a lot of great things to make your life easier and save you time. So definitely consider joining NPO Centric's membership. And even if you don't, I wish you all the best. Make sure that you're taking care of yourselves. And thank you all for all of the amazing work that you're doing.
0: Couldn't say it any better myself, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me on the path.
1: Sure. I loved it. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Stephanie as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas and more importantly, some resources to help you on your nonprofit leadership journey. Don't forget about the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Stephanie and, in particular, all that NPO Centric offers nonprofit leaders just like you. And as always, I'd be grateful if you would share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com, the new and improved podcast page, and you'll see the follow button and it will help you identify and follow through any of your favorite podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we are constantly producing. And if you like this episode, click on the Episodes button at the top of the podcast page. You can scroll through the thumbnails of over 125 episodes we now have in the library. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.